right. All right, here I'm we ready. go. That was the opening music to The Seven Samurai, released in 1954. And after that, you heard the opening music to The Magnificent Seven, released in 1960. And you're listening to classic movie reviews. And today, we're going to be talking about these two movies. And we're going to be comparing them and contrasting them and trying to do all that without going on for two hours, which we could do. We've done that in the past, but we're going to try to keep this a little bit shorter. We're trying to be more disciplined. Yes, it's hard, because we just get talking and talking and talking. But uh, it's a, it's also going to be difficult, because Seven Samurai is over three hours long, and The Magnificent Seven is two hours long. So, in total, that's five hours of film that we're going to be reviewing. (laughs) I guess we should say that people can find us uh, on uh, iTunes by looking for classic movie reviews. And then we have our own website, www.classicmoviereviews.net. And on Facebook, by looking for classic movie reviews, we'll show up. This is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles. Yep, and this is Matt Johnson in Seattle, and we're both having a heat wave right now, right? We are. We're having a, a, a nice warm spell. Well, you know, what we could do is say, well, both these movies are excellent. Thank you. Enjoy. <laughs> we could do that, but that's not. That's no <laughs> that's fun. Not, that's no fun. <laughs> well, here's the background on Seven Samurai. It was released in April of 1954. And the uh, copy that I looked at was distributed by Janus Films, 
but it was made by a company called Toho. Director was Akira Kurosawa, who also did a lot of other movies. One of those that uh, is considered a masterpiece, another masterpiece is Rashomon. Did I yeah, say Rashomon. Rashomon. Uh, the budget for this was $500,000, and it had a great box office. And it was a huge influence on movies such as The Magnificent Seven, The Guns of Navarone, 1961, and one that I like uh, from later, Ronan, with Robert De Niro in 1998. See, that's The Seven Samurai. The Magnificent Seven was released in October of 1960 by United Artists. Directed by John Sturgis, who did Bad Day at Black Rock in 1950, The Great Escape in 1963, and a load of other movies. It had a budget of $2 million, and it said that it made $2.3 million, but I, I have to believe that that's an understated revenue figure because it was a huge uh, and popular movie when I was uh, in college. And I, I, I read where... There are parts of both films that, well, the, the, the Magnificent Seven parallels Seven Samurai, even with some, some of the scenes being the same. And I, I noticed some of that as I watched it. Oh, definitely. I, I made a list, actually, which I well, you did go okay. when we uh, when we get to that part. But we're going to talk about five areas. We're going to talk about the music themes. We're going to talk about cinematography and, and the framing of the shots. We're going to talk about clothing and hairstyles and how that's important and the weather and how the weather plays into the plot. And then we're going to touch on some of the plot points. And I think that's where we can do some comparing and contrasting of what's the same and what's different between the two films. So in terms of the music, I think the music in both films is, is excellent. In fact, the theme for The Magnificent Seven is really memorable, and, and they use that in, in other contexts. I've heard that, that theme elsewhere, not just in this film. I was uh, really enjoying it when I first saw this movie in the theater in 1960, and that music has been in my head ever since. It's really excellent. And the movie uh, music for Seven Samurai was also very good. Quite different, I think, in tone and style from The Magnificent Seven. It definitely has more of a Japanese uh, flavor, but I wouldn't say it's traditional Japanese music in any way. It's it's definitely still more of a, a Western theme. Uh, not not a Western movie theme, but uh, Western culture. The the other thing is that, like the the Seven Samurai and the Magnificent Seven, they have a theme. It's kind of like a heroic theme. The villagers or the peasants have a theme. Uh, 
Mifune's character has a theme. Some of the characters in the uh, Magnificent Seven have themes. And so I, I, I loved in both films how music was used to emphasize certain aspects of the drama. Definitely. I, uh, I gave both music scores a 10. Yeah, me too. So in terms of the cinematography, if we, if we just think about The Magnificent Seven to start with, it, it reminded me in a lot of ways of The Professionals uh, with sort of that really epic kind of yes. scope of that Western yes. landscape. Although, to be honest, I liked some of the shots in The Professionals more than some of the shots in The Magnificent Seven. I, I found myself thinking that, this is a little weird to say maybe, but that The Magnificent Seven felt a little bit small at times. Like the, the village that they were in felt kind of small. And even though they had these like framing shots of this landscape, a lot of the filming just felt like it could have been done on a set almost. And I, I didn't get that feeling so much from the professionals, uh, which felt more of uh, on on location filming to me. Although I'm not sure. I'm sure that a lot of the filming, The Magnificent Seven, was on location. Yeah, I think pretty much uh, all of it was, was on location. Well, my uh, I'll start with The Seven Samurai. I love the opening where it's gray and cloudy and it looks rainy. It looks like winter, and the bandits come bandits come rushing over the horizon, and the black and white. The whole mood of it is is gloomy and and foreboding. Whereas uh, the contrast in the Magnificent Seven, it's all bright, and they're outdoors, and the mountain in the background at the village is. Is beautiful. It, it, there's a there's a whole different feel to the two movies, both of which are excellent in the cinematography, but quite different in my mind. Yeah, I think I think they're both excellent. I I would put the Seven Samurai up a notch or two. There's just so much happening in the frame at all times. Like even if there's a character in the frame and the, and the character's talking. There'll be like a shadow moving over his head, and there'll yes. be some some leaves moving in the background. There's never just a static shot in the in the film, and those scenes in the village, those were so amazing. Where they would follow a, a character, and then they would cut to the samurais, where they were kind of looking at the crowd, and and the samurai's eyes would track the other direction, and then they would follow a character that direction, and there were these really quick cuts back and forth, back and forth, but I never felt lost. And there was so much activity happening in the background of the of the scenes, and there's just so many scenes where they have these actors in the background doing things. Like, there's a scene in a in, in one of the huts where there's a character playing with puppets, and the, the shadows of the puppets right. are on the wall. Or there was a scene where we first meet that really expert swordsman and there's kind of this one-on-one -on -one duel between the expert swordsman and, and the guy that thinks he's better. And this, the fight's already happened and we kind of cut away to the samurais walking away and there's this ruckus like, oh, there's been a fight. Let's go find out what's happened. And all these villagers rush toward where the fight was, but then there's a woman that picks up her child and runs in the opposite direction. And, it's so just very 
real to me. Like this very real feeling of like we were actually sort of there watching it as a as like this omniscient third person. There's a lot more variety in the, the in the cinematography in the Seventh Samurai. I, I noticed that with uh, the Magnificent Seven and the director John Sturgis. When I watch Bad Day at Black Rock or The Great Escape, it has the same feel to it as The Magnificent Seven. It's all straightforward. There's not a lot of shadows or, or anything that we saw that would be remotely similar to The Seven Samurai. So he was consistent in his style, but it is quite different than uh, than Mr. Kurosawa. It's hard to say that one's better but i i will go ahead and say that i i think seven samurai is better in that respect uh, let's talk I, a little I, bit about I, oh what I would you think ju- I, was, I just wanted to mention uh, the the ending of the seven samurai with all the fights in that village and the rain and the mud and the muck and the that was that was so uh, more realistic or real to me than the gunfighting at the end of the Magnificent Seven. I mean, it was, it was they were a mess. It was much more. Uh, I don't know if the right word is earthy, but it was certainly different than the Magnificent Seven. And I read where that they were supposed to film that when it was uh, summer, and because of budget delays and and the fact they couldn't always get the budget and the money put together. They had to film it in winter. And the actor said they'd never been so cold in their life as when they were filming that final scene. And it shows in in the movie. Probably adds to it. Realistic. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Although I have to say with The Magnificent Seven, the gunfire, the way they use the guns uh, and and the sound effect for that was, was really well done. I really liked that. I don't know what they did, but they amplified the sound. Yeah, there's the final gun battle is is, is pretty good. Uh, it it does have a lot of action, and there's a lot of different things happening. But it, it's sort of like it felt abbreviated to me after watching the Seven Samurai. Like the Seven Samurai went on for quite a long time with these different waves of attacks, and they had different barricades and different ways that they were defending the the village and the way that they built out those barricades was so cool in seven samurai. Cause it was so elaborate and you've really got a sense that they had fortified that, that village. And then in the magnificent seven, I think all they did was they kind of built some rock walls and maybe dug a trench, but it was very sort of abbreviated. Whereas I think if they'd gone to more elaborate measures, it would have been more satisfying to, to me anyway having watched them back to back well the uh the next item or theme was clothing and hairstyles now i have to admit i'm not up to date on japanese styles in the 16th century but from what i know and read which isn't a great amount it was very realistic the way they presented the characters in the seven samurai in terms of dress and hairstyle and and all of that yeah, I think it was very realistic, and I just wanted to mention two scenes. One was right at the beginning when our our kind of our leader, uh, played by Takashi Shimura, uh, he plays Kambe, shaves his head and cuts his top knot yes. off so that he can pretend to be a monk and then go in and save those kids from that bandit that had kind of taken them hostage. 
and and the look of shock on the villagers' faces when he cut off his top knot just kind of gives you a sense of how unheard of that would have been for him to do that. And there's another scene later where the father, who's sort of against the samurais being there, and he's got the daughter and he wants to hide his daughter, basically chases her down and forcibly cuts off all of her hair. And that had a very similar connotation where in in the Japanese culture, the women's hair being long like that and and kind of lustrous was, was very important to them. So you see her crying through one entire scene because she's so upset by the fact that her father cut off all her hair. And then I, and and then in related to hair in the Magnificent Seven was, was Eula Brenner really bald, or was that just like his his thing? Because he was bald in all of his movies, I think, wasn't he? Well, I think I think uh, he had he he was partially bald, and I think he was kind of the early version of someone that shaved their head so that it looked uh, different and made him stand out. A couple things I I thought of on the clothing from the uh, Magnificent Seven was he wearing the same outfit? In Westworld, I think so. In, in the Magnus, the that completely like, black outfit that was cool. It was ominous. It was ominous. And then the other part that I liked in the Magnificent Seven is when Yul Brenner's character and Steve McQueen's character decided they'd drive the uh, hearse uh, to the graveyard and and have that person buried. I believe it was it was a Native American. And and the t- and several of the people didn't want the Native American buried there, but they they went ahead and did it, and there was some gunplay, and then we kind of get a feel early on just uh, how good they are with their weapons, the the two characters that take him there. So I like that because Yul Brenner could have killed those guys, but he just gave them flesh wounds, basically one yes. in the shoulder and one in the hand, and. Did you think that he was a man of few words in this movie? I thought he was so badass in that movie. He was the best part of that movie for me. <laughs> he really is. Uh, that may, I, I've seen him in The King and I, which is entirely different, and he's excellent in that. But this this is my favorite Yul Brenner character. I, I could have watched him perfect. for another hour. Yeah, he was, I know. He was so good. Although the bad guy, Eli Wallach, was also... Rather, rather uh, unusual. He agreed to do that part only if he could have that really fancy saddle. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I read about that. He said, "I'll do that part, but I want to have a really fancy uh, gold, gold laced uh, or trimmed uh, saddle." I was just going to say he wanted his he wanted his character to stand out from just another bad guy, and and he really does. Oh, he definitely does. But you know it. Just one other thing related to the clothing. The, the the clothing in both the films kind of was a way to differentiate between sort of different levels in the society. So in The Seven Samurai, the peasants in that village were so bedraggled, they were so pathetic, you know, pretty much through most of the movie until the very end. And their clothing sort of befit that. And then the samurais were... Of varying degrees, you know, nice, more nicely dressed to the point where the young samurai who we find out sort of rich and is really only there for the experience is, is very nicely dressed and then 
Kambe is is decently dressed, but but Toshiro Mifune's character, he's kind of a mess himself. He's more like what the peasants were looking like. Yes, and of course we find out that he was a he was a peasant. That was his heritage. He wasn't a samurai, in in the sense of the family having having that family line of being a samurai. And, and then in the Magnificent Seven, you know, Yul Brenner in his all black outfit which is typically kind of like a bad guy color, but he sort of the hero of the film. And then Eli Wallach with his red shirt and very distinguished kind of look with that. So I, I just, we don't, we don't talk about the clothing enough in, in our reviews, but I just thought it was really well utilized in both films. Very definitely. So, and I, it fit at least from the Westerns that I watch, it was it was uh, really really well done for the uh, Magnificent Seven. Robert Vaughn was a little he had on a, more of a gambler's outfit. What you see in the westerns is a gambler. He was a gunfighter, but he would those those clothes looked very tailor made. Exactly, good, that's a good example. So should we move on to weather or the lack of weather? Well, I, I was going to say the uh, the contrast in the weather is is very clear. If we start with the Magnificent Seven, it's filmed in in the Southwest, and I believe in real life it was filmed in Mexico. I have that known here, but I can't find it right now. Um, so it's dry and deserty and uh, dusty. Whereas with the Seven Samurai, it was raining and cloudy much of the time. I, I thought maybe they'd filmed it in the Olympic Peninsula in the rainforest at times, because it it had that it had that northwest U.S. northwest uh, look to it. Quite different weather for both movies, and both of the movies utilized it. Well, but I, I let's see. I th- I don't think that the Magnificent Seven utilized weather at all. Like it was always sunny. It was always oh, dry. Okay. There was never any wind, and you know, you think back to the professionals and that that scene with oh, the sandstorm, sandstorm, yeah, and how how awesome that was, and just how cool that looked, and the use of the wind in the Seven Samurai was always put to good use. I mean, it was always there to echo what was happening in 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 the film with the plot or the characters' emotions and. The rain, God, the rain, it was like it wouldn't never stop. And it. It made it even more. It made the, made the villagers even more pathetic, you know, when it was raining and they're, and they're trying to hide out in their dark huts from the rain and they're waiting for it to stop. So and, I, I and just wish that. the cold. And you can feel the cold. I just wish they'd have more weather variety in the Magnificent Seven, like a storm or, you know, something. But you're right. It really it, it was always it was always uh, the same. And and other movies that he's made, again, Bad Day at Black Rock, and uh, The Great Escape. It's always the same in those. So it's probably a. I mean, it's definitely a choice of style i guess that's that's how he wanted his films to be i just like the variety of the seven samurai because it just added to the the 
the emotional impact of it, I guess. So we're we're now on to uh, plot. So here's here's what I thought were similar scenes or themes, and you can jump in if I miss anything that you remember. But the recruitment of the samurai slash gunfighters, you know, there's that was a very similar kind of a yes. theme. Wasn't James Colborn Colborn's character uh, something else? I mean, he's just he's trying to sleep, and the guy won't let him rest and he won't give up and finally Colburn must say to himself I've had it with this bozo well and, and he his character in the Seven Samurai is the master swordsman yes and James Coburn was sort of the the master with the knife although he doesn't get to use it in the big battle at the end it was all gunfighting except when he dies and his hand goes over the wall and the knife is there yeah, but it was it was like it he never got used. to use it. <laughs> no, they were too busy with those great sound effects with the rifle fire. Yeah, and gunfire. The wood chopping, like with uh, you'll oh, Charles, Charles, Charles Bronson, Charles Bronson, and the wood chopping, and then we meet another uh, samurai who's chopping wood. Those were almost identical scenes. I thought so too. The line that Bronson has is great. A friend of Harry Lux. He tells me you're broke. I'm doing this because I'm an eccentric millionaire. Yeah. He's out there. God. He was, he, he was awesome. He was so great in that movie, Charles Bronson. I love his character's name. Bernardo O'Reilly. Yeah. He's part Mexican and part <laughs> Irish. <laughs> and he's hell of an axeman, I'll tell you. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple scenes in both films where they're very introspective, kind of thinking about their plight in life. The hired guns are talking about how they never have any enemies. They never have any uh, family. They never, they're never going to have kids. Mm -hmm. And then there's a scene in The Seven Samurai where they're talking about the, the life of a samurai. And it's very, very similar. Another similar scene is the uh, using the Magnificent Seven where uh, Horst Buckholtz's character wants to prove that he should be one of the men. And he's been drinking. Yeah. His name is Chico in the movie, and that parallels quite uh, closely the Seven Samurai scene with the guy that wants to become one of the members of the group. Yeah, that's Toshiro Mifune. He comes in, and he's all drunk and saying how he needs to be going with them, and he's a great swordsman, and, and then he passes out, and that's exactly <laughs> what happens in the Magnificent Seven. Yes, but those are two uh, totally different characters. Like, there wasn't a real direct transfer of Toshiro Mufune's character to the Magnificent Seven. He's kind of split between that guy that was kind of the young gunfighter slash he was also a farmer but wanted to get out of that life. And I think maybe Charles Bronson's character a little bit. I'm not... Totally yeah, clear I, on that. I would agree. But I, I kind of wish that... What's his name, the character, the actor that plays the young gunfighter? Oh, Horse Buckholtz. Horse Buckholtz. I wished he'd pushed his character a little bit more to the crazy side, like Toshiro Mufune had done. And, and I think he played it a little bit too too straight. I He, he was kind of a combination of Toshiro Mufune and, and the young... Samurai, the young rich samurai from Seven Samurai. 
to me that was his kind of combination of characters. Although he did he did push it one time when they rang the bell and scolded the villagers for hiding out and not showing any guts and 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 the other uh Leads, uh, Yul Brenner and Steve McQueen kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, he's finally now a member of our group. Well, and Toshio Mifune did that as well, because he yes. rang the alarm and then, you know, kind of scolded them for hiding out. And and that, the other samurais kind of gave him a side-handed compliment for, for doing that. So again, very, very similar. Uh, the hiding of the young girls... That was very similar. Yeah. They, they they were afraid that the samurai slash gunfighters were going to do bad thing to the young girls, so they hid them. And, of course, the uh, I was going to say the ending is very similar because the bad guys really get it. Oh, yeah, the ending. Uh, well, all except for the ending in Seven Samurai, the, the young samurai doesn't get the girl. He doesn't stay behind in the village. Right. And in Magnificent Seven... He does stay behind. But the other thing... Oh, I liked how they Toshio Mifune's character would catch fish by his hands. And so yes. did the, the young gunfighter. He did that as well. So I guess we could confidently say that there are a lot of scenes that are almost identical in both films. But some of the things that are happening around those scenes were different. And I, I just felt like Seven Samurai, maybe just because it's three hours long, just had more character development, both of the peasants and of the leads. It just uh, there was more time to really kind of get to know them and kind of get a feeling for the relationships. Whereas Magnificent Seven, man, it moved quick. Even though it was two hours, I felt like we were like on this roller, we were on this train, and we were moving quick through this this story. I agree. It felt to me like it was a shorter movie than two hours, just because of that action. Uh, what were your ratings on the two movies? What did we? What did I give the professionals? Did I give that a ten? I can't remember. Uh, I don't. I don't remember. Well, I'm going to give Seven Samurai a ten, and I'm going to give Magnificent Seven an eight. And okay. I can't remember what i did for the professionals but i i think that the i like the professionals a little bit better and i think i gave it a nine but so i'm that's my rating and i i enjoyed both films immensely it's just that i personally think that the seven samurai is probably one of the top five best movies ever made just from a directing acting cinematography music just everything just just a Really outstanding film. I I went with a ten for both. Ten out of ten for okay. both. Okay, <laughs> cool. I, I I love them both, and I think I've seen the Magnificent Seven at least a dozen times in my life, and I, I think I'm influenced also by the fact I went to it when it came out in the theater, and I've never seen the Seven Samurai in a theater setting with a crowd, which I think would make it even better. Yeah, if there was ever a film festival and there, that was playing, I would go see it. Yeah. So uh, that's our that's our review, and I think according to uh, my watch here, we stayed within the time limit that we wanted to. Yeah, amazing. How did we do amazing that? Amazing. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, did we decide on what our next uh, review would be? We've talked about different things. We talked about we talked the about Thin Man. The Thin Man. Yeah. Um, but we haven't really decided. What What do you want to watch? You You pick. I think we should watch the one that you mentioned, Phase 4. Oh, 
Okay. Awesome. That, or does that does that not qualify because it's in the 1980s? No, it's not. It's not in the 80s, I don't think. Uh, let me grab it real quick here. Okay. I think that would be in- interesting and a change of pace for us. And then I think after that we should do another musical or another comedy. 1974. Oh, okay. So let's do that one. And then I would propose the one after that is my favorite Danny Kaye movie, The Court Jester. Oh, yes. I've been wanting to watch that. It was on Turner Classic Movies a week or so ago, and I laughed as hard at that as I did the first time I saw it in the theater. It's a, it's hilarious. Let's do it. All right. So next next uh, podcast, it's Phase 4. Who who are the main actors in that? I've never seen the movie. Well, Nigel Davenport, Michael Murphy, and Lynn Frederick. No, Freder- Frederick. Who was married to um, the guy that played the Pink Panther? Peter Sellers? Yeah, he, she, he was, she was married to Peter Sellers for a time. And it was very a very controversial <laughs> divorce because she ended up getting a, a ton of money out of the divorce, and they'd only been married not not a very long time, and she was quite a bit younger than him. So uh, she wasn't in very many movies. It oh. might be just a couple movies, and I think she's more infamously known for her marriage to Peter Sellers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, that uh, takes care of the next two. So this is Bob Johnson in Los Angeles. And this is Matt Johnson in Seattle wishing you a great week of movie watching.